Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you're in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. All right, all right, all right. Today we got a special one for you because we're giving you the the sneak peek, the backstage pass, as as you uh, call it. Um, We're going to kind of review some of the things that we've been learning. Uh, I know that like sometimes learning, oh, that sounds boring, but like if you're listening to a podcast, there's probably a pretty good chance that you want to learn something, at least a little bit, or at least be entertained, and we'll definitely be entertaining. So this is going to be our season two, even though we don't have real seasons, season two review of what we've been learning, because we've just kind of been overwhelmed a little bit of the just knowledge gain that we've kind of got. So uh, me and Will want to break that down for you today. And uh, with that said, I just kind of want to dive right into this. Uh, One of the big things, Will, that we heard, and I want your perspective on this, is the industry is behind 10 to 30 years. So when you talk, especially when you talk about the construction part of AEC, it is well behind when it comes to technology. So why is that? Like, I feel like we heard a lot of a lot of answers to this question. So what have you deciphered in the last uh, quarter here? So one of the things that the industry has played with is trust, or in this case, distrust, all right? So Pat Whalen, Wally, Bob Armbrister, uh, Eric Sanderson, they all talked about it in different ways. And essentially the industry got burned by the software industry. Right. Th- thanks a lot, Bob, by the way, uh, software uh, aficionado. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, and Pat Whalen actually gave some good insight. And, we, and I've definitely heard this, but it came really into clarity around what it was that was like kind of causing this. It's the I think it was a little bit of the overpromise, under deliver uh, aspect, as well as the sales aspect of you know, there were, yes, we can do this, but the expectation wasn't set that it's going to be three, five years down the road because that's how development can work. And so people thought that it was just going to work out of the box and, and it didn't. And so they kind of reverted back. And so there was a backward step uh, from the construction industry sort of stepping away from software for a while because it didn't work the way it was intended or the way that they thought it was going to. Okay. So trust or distrust of technology for the longest of time because it's really hard to touch software. And so you can touch a tool, you can see, you can inspect tool, you can inspect the work that's done by the tools, framing, et cetera, pouring concrete and making your job easier from a physical labor perspective. These type of concepts are much harder to address in the, uh, in the construction industry because they don't always think about soft costs in let's say the back office. Pat Whalen explained this. This was kind of cool. And and Bob as well. It's the, you know, accounts receivable, how much time does it take? Well, the action may only take five minutes per accounts receivable, 15 minutes. But then when you think about what actually happens, someone walks in the door physically, right? Moseys around, talks to few different people in your office by the time they get to the accounting and then they chat them up 
you've lost your company has literally lost multiple hours of because that person walked in right versus you know the automation behind the accounts receivable side or the accounts payable side so that doesn't happen right but the two don't go together or unless you've lived it and seen it and actually put two and two together that that actually happens right there's a lot of distrust that oh i can do that it only takes me five minutes but they didn't think about all the other stuff that happens right so there's like a human psychology aspect to it so they're thinking about focus oh i solved this problem but i don't have a problem with that so i think the software industry in the way they're messaging things to the construction industry i think the two are miscommunicating because it is solving the problem just not in the way that they think it's still addressing the soft costs now but because they got burned right before uh, before or stuff didn't work before the way it was intended they thought it was going to solve all their problems or here's the other one well by introducing new technology right i now have been introduced also to a whole new set of problems like upgrades right and i i talk about this offline but there's three guarantees in life right death taxes and upgrades i think that the understanding around this of upgrades and that even though there's a cost to it of upgrades talking about the cost of upgrades versus the cost of time that it saves i think there's a lot of learning and teaching that has to be done there are some companies and those are the ones that are really top tier they understand this which i can't wait to talk to those people we have a few in the pipeline that we will talk to that really understand this and then there's the other side that don't get it and i think that they're in for surprise if they continue down that path definitely i i think the it, it very interesting that what one thing that i'm i'm thinking about right now is bob specifically at spark business works they do this like 12 month roi like calculation for somebody so they're rolling out a new piece of software for you like they're trying to say hey in 12 months it's going to be roi positive like it's totally going to get you something back in the first 12 months. And I think one in regards to a sales and marketing piece, like that's super smart of them to do. Cause it's, it's saying like, Hey, we know software has really burned you in the past. And we want to make sure that you believe that that's not going to be the case. And that's why we're going to build this calculation out for you and then walk you through um, how it's actually going to be beneficial. I think, you know, when we talk about trust, it's all about like being candid. Like one of our core values is being candid, right? So when you're candid with somebody and you're honest and you're just open and vulnerable, like those are the things that can be the differentiator for, I mean, any any business, but certainly in the AEC industry, you got to trust your subs. You got to trust the designs. You got to trust, you know, who even the develop, like the owner of the development company. Like, I mean, these, it's always built built on trust which actually makes me think of Eric Sanderson. Um, but like, I, I really, I, f- I feel that, that this whole technology problem is like, man, we need to be just better with communication and then just being more trusting uh, as either providers or in, in, the, in the sub compared to GC, compared to design, compared to all, all these different things. I think trust in that communication, over communicating can solve some of these problems even though it does, it's not t- totally connected to technology. I think that solves the problems. 
I think you mentioned something uh, also that I wanted to wanted to kind of touch upon, which is so return on investment. And I think that too much of the industry in construction is looking at return in on investment within a one year's time, okay, or less. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's a big problem in the industry that the industry uh, doesn't understand when it comes to technology and being strategic around technology, it's a three to five year plan. Decisions that were made three years ago, eight, you know, or sometimes the outputs of what is actually gained or lost, you don't see the outcomes of that until 18 months down the road. It doesn't, it doesn't really come back until, so if you prevent the problem from happening altogether or it creates a problem, it's because of decisions that were made a while back ago. And this is the part of, well, I need, I need less spend right now, right? I need less costs right now. How can I save right now? Where on the PL is the cost of time, right? It's buried in the salaries indirectly. And they're not, and so Wally talked about leverage, and they're not leveraging technology appropriately, uh, or they don't understand how to leverage technology appropriately. So uh, I like what Wally had to say. He said that technology, all it is is an accelerator, right? So it, uh, an accelerator of processes. So if you've got a good process, it accelerates that good process, but it can also be an accelerator of bad processes. All you do is you just get to, to a bad process, you know, to the end result of a bad process faster, right? So- Yep, nope, totally. Uh, and Ryan Marks, uh, I- really respect what his mentality, right? Brian Marx's mentality is, you know, if, if I can automate it, right, if I can save time, time is thing that he uses as the baseline of whether or not he even looks to make an, uh, an adjustment or an investment into technology. And it's very counter to that mentality compared to his dad, right? He, in, in a way, he had to kind of fight his dad in some ways until he completely took, it, took over. And people within it, people within his company. Obviously, he's grown the company a good amount since that since that time. So obviously, he's doing some, something right. And we see examples of this all over the place. And I think I think it's just education on soft cost productivity that's not necessarily in the field. Too many eyes are in the field, right? And I think that they need to be involved, but they're not but they're not thinking about the back office administration or all the extra little work, the time that's lost there. Those are some pretty high salaries, right? In the back office that are not even being considered yet you can leverage technology there. Imagine doing, if you have an accounting department and doing AR and AP and you've got five people doing that, what if you could do that with one person? Imagine what the offset. So if you have an offset of that many salaries to do that, down to one person, right? And the cost of whatever the implementation of that cost of the salaries, it's usually going to be less than those four salaries that you've reduced by. But it's never talked about that way, right? It's never talked about in turn, because no one wants to talk about, well, I'm gonna get rid of someone's job. Well, that's not, that's not quite it. It can also allow you to scale larger while keeping those people. Imagine you can now do four or five times the amount of work, or maybe you've got four A players and the fifth person is not an A player. 
right? So you keep the four people, you don't have to get rid of everyone, but now you have to, but now you know you have a team that has the capacity to be able to do a lot more or do special projects, right? I believe it was Pat who had said, because I think I asked him this and I said, well, people don't necessarily want to get rid of somebody that's been with you for 20 years. Like that's, that's a scare one. They have these real relationships. It's not like that, you know, it's not like, Oh, you're just a number. It's like, no, like if you're a, a sub 50 person construction company, like, you know, everybody there. And if they've been there 20 years, you probably know their whole family. It's not like it's, you know, it's a real true relationship. And I remember asking him like, how do you pitch the idea that like, Hey, your software is going to remove a job. And he said, he's like, that's not the case. Like he said, the job is going to make, the technology is going to make that job easier. But that means that that person now can do something else that can actually add more value to the company. Now, there is certainly growing pains there. This isn't like, oh, poof, just, you know, learn how to do something else. But it is saying like, just because you do something better and are more efficient somewhere doesn't mean you have to cut jobs. Like you can totally increase like the 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 things that you're doing in the company and i think that he had quite the insight on that which i obviously he he's very very smart and <laughs> now that i think back to his episode i'm like oh yeah pat's great we need to get pat back on is kind of what i'm thinking but yeah that that's that's something that i definitely was like oh that that's that's the answer like everybody's afraid i don't want to fire people like nobody like and technology doesn't mean you have to fire people. It's like the same thing in like culture where it's like, oh, auto, you know, AI and robots and all these things are going to steal everyone's jobs. Like that's the fear, right? That's the total fear. And it's like, that's not how it works. Like it, it's not like we've yep. in the last 20, 30 years, the amount of technology increases that we've made is exponential. It is unbelievable. The advances we've made. Lots of people still have jobs lots of i mean you know like we still have a full workforce and in fact in the last 50 years we probably added more people to the workforce than ever before like with you know women's rights and like all more more women uh going into the workforce than ever before and that might be 70 years i'm not certainly not a historian so don't quote me on that but like we know like that that massive increase in essentially doubling the amount of workforce occurred when technology was doing its biggest amount of growth. So the idea that, oh, be afraid of technology, that doesn't, it actually doesn't correlate the way people think it does. Yeah, no, 100% agree. Um, I hope, I hope pe people listen to that message and listen to those episodes, because uh, there's, there's some powerful stuff there. We're obviously advocates of that, but I'd rather they hear from the horse's mouth, someone that's lived it. Oh, yeah. And Pat, if you hadn't listened to the episode, Pat ran a GC for what was it, 20 years before he sold it off and then created the software company? Yeah. So if there's anyone anyone that has clout in being able to say that, okay, Pat does, you can't argue against it, okay? Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. No, Pat, Pat is amazing. Yeah, Pat, is he's amazing. I want to flip it around because there was another aspect that I think was very interesting this season, which is the different types of ownership of a company and how it affects the people what are your thoughts definitely love people right you're the people guy so oh i love people <laughs> there was nate right with the franchise kit with an esop uh employee uh, essentially employees owning uh the company and then ryan which was generation fourth generation right fourth generation yep which is you know that's a, that's 
talk about crazy, there aren't a lot of fourth generation owners, right? Um, why don't you give me your thoughts on kind of what we saw with the different types of ownership and how it affects the company and essentially how, how did it help build scale? What's really wild, so I think the, I believe the first episode was the Nate episode of this uh, season and jumping right into that concept of like, he was all about building people up and essentially not just franchising, like not just creating a franchise uh, scenario in the construction space, but also taking the people that he's helped groom and grow to become those owners in different places. Like that to me was one super smart, right? Cause you're saying like this person that like, you know, we've gone through the the mud and the war together. We've done all these things. We've built the company. We've done all this. And now I want to pay that back. And I want to like some, how do I get you ownership in a thing to, to be able to just become your own bot? Like, you know, no longer, I, you know, he, I think he says it's time to fly the coop. It's time, you know, it's time to leave the, the mother hen, even though uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing Nate doesn't particularly like to be called the mother hen. Um, <laughs> I, I know that like that, you know, his people are so important to him and like, the whole concept of like changing somebody's persona based on like a name, you know, the name that you call them and things like that to then saying like, I got this guy that, you know, maybe had a really rough upbringing. We bring him in, we teach him the trade. We, we build his knowledge in regards to the business as a whole. And now, you know, seven, 10 years later, it's like, it's time to fly the coop. It's time for you to go off and do your own thing with still having the resources of Nate and still having like those, those backbone pieces that are going to help him succeed. But like that to me is one, it's like, how do you give back, right? Like people that help you build your business, how do you give back to them? Um, Which is just amazing. It's just so, so, so amazing. And the same thing when you get into kit with the ESOP, right? So you had one set of owners, um, they sold, or they had one set of owners sold to their children, two brothers, I believe. And, and if, again, if I'm, if I'm butchering this a little bit, it's been, it's been a minute, but then from there, those, those owners are saying, you know, we don't have anybody like family wise, that's going to be able to, to bring up the reins. And we don't want to sell this off because we've built this great culture. Like it's very much like caring about your people. And, and I, I can't emphasize enough people process technology, how your people, like you need to get that part right. Because if you get your people part right, it can make up for some inefficiencies in other areas. I would say, again, you need you need all three to scale. Like I don't disagree with that, but like, man, if you get the people part right, you have a real good foundation for your business. And you do that by then building this culture that says, hey, instead of selling off and completely losing this culture, we're going to we're going to turn into esop it'll be a 6 year plan we're going to sell to the employees and they're going to be able to run it uh, with the same culture that they've been able to build and then build on top of that uh their uh, th- their thrive oh, what is it uh they're building a foundation for people to thrive if i I'm, I'm almost positive that's word for word that purpose like their purpose of that then actually becoming an esop is like like mm-hmm. I, I think I said on the episode, that's chef's kiss. That's perfect. Like you can't, you can't write that story any better, um, which just means, yeah, their culture is real. Like that's a real thing. It's not a marketing ploy. It's not, we threw this on a website because it sounded good. It's like, no, that's, that's who we are. That's what we believe. And that one, you don't find a lot of ESOPs general, but you definitely don't find a lot of ESOPs in construction. So like to hear, oh, wow, like you're, you're totally going a different direction and yet you guys are still scaling massively. Like they're, they're another growing company and what they 
what they're finding is all these employee owners have amazing ideas that are now being heard more that then get them to get bigger projects. They got the Amazon project. They got, um, I think it was a, a bigger brewery. Um, and then like, uh, I think there was a, a train station, I believe. Again, some of these mixed together, but like the way, the things that they're doing is like huge. It's it's massive. And their uh, president kit, wow. Talk about somebody that loves their people. And the first time we talked to him, I was like, nobody can be this excited. Like nobody could love their people this much. And no, it was just like continuously and all the stories that he told and like every everything about Kit was, I love these human beings. Like I like I don't like I don't know how else to say it. Like it's like we are a family. Like, you know, when and people are like, oh, what's your culture? It's like, oh, we're a family culture. And it's like that usually means not great culture. Like it's a bad, like it becomes like everybody wants that, but it's not really the most healthy generally. But for them, it's like, oh no, like they have this amazing family culture where they have like running groups and they have like, they go on vacation together and like, they're just, they just really truly love each other, which is amazing. And then the other aspect is the ownership piece, right? Uh, makes them feel like they're part of something. There's the I, definitely some sort of intric, intrinsic motivation that happens on the ownership side, right? So they're shareholder essentially of the, of the bigger piece of the pie and they know that, and I think associating that what I do moves the needle, right? In which case it comes back to me because I am now a partial owner of this company. It kind of comes back. I work harder and also motivate my teammates to work harder or to work, you know, better, faster, et cetera, right? It's not always harder. It's just maybe it's work smarter. Then it will come back and pay dividends to me in the future. And I think that's the type of thinking that most owners have, but they can't necessarily pass that on to the employees. And, and so having that, uh, so they create sort of that intrinsic motivation. So it's very interesting in the different ways that they created that intrinsic motivation uh, to be on the same page in decision-making, right? It becomes a lot easier in decision-making and even going, hey, I don't have to tell you what to do, right? You know what you need to do. And if you don't do it, you're also going to be the one that's affected, right? Yeah. So I think that's that's really cool. Uh, and I think that happens also on the franchise as well. Now with Ryan, right, the ownership and the generational ownership and thinking, right, how he talked about like the goal of his grandpa being a million dollars in sales, dad being $10 million in sales, and then obviously Ryan, much loftier goals and spreading nationwide, right? I think that even top down like that. And because, I mean, uh, what did he say? Like, essentially, they're all like a family. They always look, so speaking of family here, like they're always looking for some of the best employees are always family related, right? As far as like family of those that are, that are employees, they've employed like all the brothers. They've had some people that have been married inside of the company, et cetera. So there's obviously something that works there and keeps them going there. And I think that there's something to be said about how he runs that company has helped build that scale as well for, for them. And keeping a company for four generations, like super rare, super rare, right? Think about all the bad things that have happened in the world in the last hundred years, because they're over a hundred years old. They're 101 this year. I'm not sure exactly the date, but either they're a hundred or they're 101 years old. Think about all of the bad things that have occurred in this time frame, and they have been able to do the test of time. Like that's that is 
so powerful. Like I, when I hear like stories like that, yes. Surviving the Great Depression, right? Yes. S- surviving, surviving World War One, World War Two, like surviving some of these humongous event, world events, right? Mm-hmm. As a company, and obviously, PE firms, right? He even told basically PE firms, we're not interested. Yep. Right. So even that mentality of I'm I'm keeping this right. He cares for his people. He wants he wants to make sure that this stays in a cer- certain way, because if outside, I'm pretty sure it went unspoken. But if outside investment c- came in, it could affect his culture in a way that he doesn't want, and it could potentially tear apart his company. It's so wild that these three very different, very different uh, ownership styles or ownership kind of like the way the way the company is is operating are so different, very, very different. And yet at the heart of it, it's all about the people within it. Like at, like all three of those, it's like, how do I make it better for the people that are here that are, are helping grow the business? And like, that is that was it. Like that was the overarching thought of all of these leaders that said, okay, I need, what do I need to do? Okay, this is what I'm, this is the path we're taking. Different paths, but the goal always being the same. How do I make this the best scenario for my people? 100% which leads me to kind of the other part that we need to talk about. What were your biggest nuggets or takeaways for around unique processes discussed that help build scale? Oh, the, the first thing off my head is Rosemary. So rep, representative, owner's rep, rep right? Um, the whole thought process of like, hey, get us in as early as possible. Like we don't wanna be there like after there's a design or after there's like these these problems. Like get us in, like when you're thinking about owning a piece of land or a building we want then that's when we want to be involved because they are going to be able to increase the value of whatever you you're you're buying before you buy like it's 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 baffling to me when they're when she was talking about she's like yeah so like the examples in her episode are like endless but like the one where it was like hey when you when you go into this building you're actually gonna lose money if you don't get this written into the, the agreement because like there's this drainage ditch behind there that is gonna totally devalue the, the property. And that's a very simple way to put this, but like they understand the the, the workings of how, how all these things are drawn up as well as like the certain permits you need from the city and like things like, like all of those things, they just know and it's like, baffling it's it's like finding a wizard or like a chess master that's going to be able to give you the prep before your match like it is it was super enlightening for me that i i was i had no idea that there was so much money to be had before you start actually constructing a building that you could totally gain before you break any ground to do any of that stuff like there's so much more money to be had and I think a lot of people certainly aren't looking at it that way. So if you are somebody that's trying to buy a building or land and you're listening, call Rosemary, that direct, uh, direct deal, call her. She will help you uh, just, just out the gate, have more money. Like it's, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I, I'm doing a bad job explaining how impactful. Just, just talk is. to her. Like, like, that's, <laughs> that's what I'd say. Here's an example. Um, she was talking about uh, tax implications. They even talk about tax implications of where and what and how they develop and how they can help essentially the owner gain either value or reduce the amount of cost that they're going to have by doing these X, Y, and Z things that I don't, I've never heard a GC or CM talk about 
these specific things, right, as a way to help their owners uh, so that it brings more value. So just listen to the episode. That's all we got to say. Just listen to the episode. It's nuts. Also, kudos to her. Uh, shout out to her because I, I believe she was pregnant and driving. And this was the first building that she bought. Which, so she, her, her husband was at work. She was pregnant. She was going to stay in with the kids and she was driving. And I believe she was still pregnant at the time. Don't don't quote me if I'm wrong here. But and she just bought this dilapidated building is what she says to us. And we're like, what is this? How do you sell this concept? But sure enough, first building bought it. She understood enough that like the bank, like a bank is going to want to fit in here. And it's going to be like such a, a easy, you know, not easy turn because none of them are easy. I wouldn't say that. But like she had the courage to do that. Um, at a time that seemed not the best time to do this, like totally not the time that you want to go and invest in a dilapidated building, but dilapidated building, man, that word's not coming out. But nonetheless, she, um, so super, like when we talk about leadership and courage and vision, like kudos to her. I just shout out to her. Uh, Rosemary, you're amazing. If you're listening. Um, wow. Just wow. That's all I gotta say. What about others? So Rosemary is one. Were there any other big nuggets or take, takeaways? One one of the big things, and certainly some of the people we talked to, your Wallis, Eric, uh, Bob, even Pat, uh, were outside of the industry looking in or helping the industry in a way, right? So yes, part of the industry, but not a GC, not an architect, not an engineer. Like they weren't those types of companies. And I think it was really unique to see the perspective of, hey, there are people that are outside of the industry that can be super helpful to you, like that can that can bring amount of value to you that you wouldn't think would be the case. Like, you know, as a GC, you know your business better than everybody else and like no disagreement. But like Bob gave the example of, hey, when you're implementing anything, in his case, a new piece of software, you should be thinking about this like as a software company. Like think of it that way because that's how you're going to get a, a better just product at the end of the day like that like you can't think of it as a construction company you have to think of it as the type of company that operates this every day it actually reminds me of season one pe concepts in the construction industry like when we think about um gary cosmer like that idea it seemed to come up a lot this uh, this season it was very much like who can help me with leadership or, or Dr. Uh, Troy Hall, right? It was like, hey, cohesion. We're talking about how do you get retention? Like retention's a big problem kind of for everybody at the moment, but like construction, it's like you already have a work, you know, just a workforce problem. So when you do have good people, how do you keep them there? And it was like, oh, well, you need cohesion. Like you need to actually be not just inclusive, but like be have cohesion with your people. And like, he's not, in the the construction industry per se but he helps companies in the construction industry to understand how you can actually get the best um, retention uh, of any company in, in your geo right so like having an outsider's perspective seemed to be beneficial and even the the companies we the the actual contractors and architects we talked to it was very much like oh yeah i have somebody I'm I'm working with that's outside that gives me this other perspective, you know, consultants. I've always said like a consultant, uh, anybody could be a consultant, like, you know, to a degree, because you have such an advantage over a company when you're looking at it from the outside. Like all, all the problems that you have in a business 
are so much easier when you have somebody outside of the business looking into it because it's like, oh yeah, just do this because this makes sense. And you're not caught up in like the relationships and you're not caught up in the, oh, how how could I possibly uh, move this giant boulder of, of a problem? What it seems like where a consultant says like, oh, we'll just walk around the boulder. And it's like, well, the what? That's an option? But it's, it's like we get lost because we're in the business all the time, I feel like. Um, and I think that that was huge. Like, I mean, Eric, Eric Sanderson, right? It's like, hey, um, you have two big construction, you know, you know, GCs, two big ones that are trying to work on a project. And it's like, oh, well, how do you guys communicate back and forth? Like that, like that's a big struggle. It can be a massive struggle for companies. And it's just like he can come in and say, oh, well, just, you know, have a have a meeting every week with the stakeholders that need to be involved. And it's just like, what? And it's or like, hey, well, why don't we worry about a problem that you have a concern on? And like, how about we work through this together? instead of just hoping the other side figures it out. Like, and it's things like that, that I, that I heard that I'm like, of course, of course, that's, that's the answer. And yet it's so, it's so hard to see it when you're in the business. Yep. Working on the business versus in the business. I think that's something that we heard a lot indirectly from a lot of different people here on the episodes. And I think all of them have someone that they talk to or cater to on the outside and Leverage, leverage the help, right? To become and to build that scale and to be just become be, uh, better businesses and better owners. So super cool. You know, one of the other things that I want to talk about was uh, as we were talking, as we were kind of going through all the, all the different companies that we talked to, one of the things that I really noticed in especially like the one-on-one uh, uh, consulting. So Wally, Dr. Troy, and with Eric Sanderson is the wealth of information. And essentially, when they, being on the outside of the problem, when they were talking to the uh, to the companies, is that they're seeing this problem repeat itself over and over and over and over again, right? So there's obviously a concept that starts in a company, they think it's supposed to go one way, right? And then, but they're, I hate to say it, but they're wrong, right? And there's a reason why they, if they were, those companies and whatever they're thinking is, is wrong to some degree and needs a shift, right? Or as they're thinking about it this way and they're not looking over, you know, they're not looking to the right, they're looking only only to the left in where the thinking and perspective is. That can work, right? But it's, do you want it to work or do you want it to work better, right? There's no such thing as perfect in the business, but there's always that moving target of making it better. And one, and I think that the perspective that they have, especially with working with many different companies, I think needs to be considered because if it's not, the ones that do consider it, are going to surpass you. I, I totally see that in all kinds of different ways. And we've seen that. Just think about, I'm not going to name the, name the company, but uh, but we've seen this even from a generation generational perspective, right? So Ryan helped, but also there's others that we've talked to where the previous generation, it was their baby, or they were thinking about it less objectively and more subjectively because this is, you know, they created it or, or whatnot. 
yet we see the second plus generation owners totally expand what the company can do because they're not they're okay with outside help they're okay with considering mentor, mentorship consulting with with a third party that's worked with many different companies their perspective isn't only inside of their one business so something to be said there so definitely those episodes are a good way to look at that so just something for our listeners to go back to those episodes and take a listen. One one thing I'm I'm curious for you, Will, is what kind of like lessons have you learned about the industry specifically? So like, obviously, it, it's always about building scale, and like there are going to be some commonalities that occur. But like for the industry itself, AEC construction industry, like what have you learned specifically to help them scale? So one thing I think that plagues the industry. But we've also seen really fast growth in the ones that sort of leave it at the door is egos. All right. I want to talk about egos here for a second. It's really cool to be an owner. It's really cool that you can build a company to a certain size. That's great. The companies that we've talked to, what we've seen is when they leave the egos at the door and are able to joint venture with others, they're, so for example, you know, there are construction companies out there uh, that will come to, so Eric Sanderson talked about this, right? Where they come together, they don't, they themselves can't necessarily do the project and it's a massive one. If they bring two construction companies, make a third entity, still the same two companies, but they make a third entity to do the project and share in the risk, the load, et cetera. Both companies are better for it. They're both are able to then do the project and essentially put it in their experience, they've done the bigger thing, whereas they themselves on their own would not have been able to do that. So in a way, they've created scale by being able to work with a competitor on that uh, on that project in order to better themselves both, okay? But that re- that definitely requires getting over ego and getting on the same page, which the industry has an issue with. And I think those that think that they're better at everything that they do need to go listen to that episode uh, with Eric Sanderson, because what he has to say about that and how people do it, I don't think it's possible if you if you're saying I'm the best at everything. Right. It's actually a good that's it's a good nugget, because I remember asking him, I'm like, hey, if I like do driveways, like how do I eventually do an airport? Like, yeah, you know, how, like, how, what's the steps to get from driveway, uh, laying asphalt in a driveway to doing it in an airport? And he said, well, you just, you know, you keep building up over time. But then he mentioned, like, well, if you can get somebody else to like join you, you can make this scale way faster. Because, hey, if I could do only 10% bigger of a job every time, but now it's like, oh, well, you could actually do 30% bigger of a job every time if you had somebody you paired with. Like, that's, again it's how, how much you want to scale your business so there's obviously a piece of that but i i do agree ego can get in the way uh in this scenario for sure the other thing is being technology forward and what i mean is uh, for the companies that have there's definitely a like two-part mentality here in the industry 
there's the ones that are technology forward and then those are that are not, right? We've we've been doing it this way, we're successful, we're gonna continue doing it this way. And there's those that are willing to be innovative, willing to spend money on innovation and it's starting to win them. And they're they're think they're not on a linear scale a scale. They're thinking of yield. They're thinking the investment that I do today will will return infinitely to me essentially tomorrow, right? They're not just doing it for today, they're doing it looking towards the future for years to come. And uh, Bob is a great example. His episode about the two companies bidding on essentially the same the same job. Mm-hmm. So the next time you hear yourself complaining about there's no way that they could have done that job cheaper, right? Go listen to Bob's episode because Bob Armbruster really shed some light on what's possible with technology. So when Wally talks about leveraging technology, okay, right? Essentially, it's a multiplier on being able to create time. Bob has such an excellent point on how that happened. And that's just one example, right? That's just one example out of many that can happen in leveraging technology leveraged uh, correctly. And so those that are essentially not thinking about technology, not investing, and we're not even talking about the pandemic here for a second, okay? Yes, there's a lot of companies that were affected and a lot of companies that evolved because of it, but they did it because they had to. It wasn't because they were forward thinking, it was because they had to, because if they didn't, they wouldn't exist as a company anymore, or they got really, really hurt in the pandemic, okay? But the ones that were forward thinking and continue to look at technology as a competitive advantage and using his words, and these are definitely words that we even use inside our organization, um, using technology as a competitive advantage, they figured out ways to do that and are continuing. So spending more money, why would I spend more money? They're not looking at it as it's affecting my PL, right, in a negative manner. They're looking at it as I'm actually gonna make more money because I'm spending more money in technology. And they and they figured out a way ways to do that. Right. So those are two, those are two that I know. What about you? It, to your point, it also costs, yeah, I think people miss this, and I think it's important. It costs you more money to wait to implement technology until the end. I'm gonna say that one more time. It costs you more money if I wait to implement technology. Example of this that we've seen is, hey, I'm not going to do any upgrades. I'm not going to do my upgrades. I'm I'm going to go three upgrades deep before I decide to do an upgrade to a software I already have. Us changing that that upgrade to the newest could be so dramatic that that one, it breaks everything. So that's first, like the operating system doesn't work right. So you need to update the operating system. Also, all the security patches, all the components, you're leaving yourself at massive risk. And the users are going to have to relearn something because they're going from like the Nintendo to, you know, the, the Nintendo 64, the, you know, the, the, you know, DS or whatever the newest video game system is, right? Like, it's like that where it's like, oh, I can't go from 8-bit eight, eight to 64-bit and assume I'm going to be able to be able to just work as, as well with that. 
So if you wait and wait and wait and wait and wait until a pandemic happens and you're forced to go to Teams or forced to go to Zoom or forced to go to these things in comparison to the company that did this four or five years ago and have been actively using it, they're going to be so far advanced and ahead of you because their people are all already so comfortable using it. It is unbelievable the amount of money that you're going to lose if you wait to do technology stuff. Like I, I, I cannot, cannot say that anymore. Um, the, the, the data is out there. Like it is, this is not now, again, the same can be said early adopter, you know, you're going to lose some money. You're going to get the big gain, but you're going to lose some money at first because you got to work out the kinks. But like you, once it happens, you you skyrocket, like the, the value goes through the roof. So when you're thinking about, Hey, I'm just going to wait until I have to, that's not the right answer. That's totally not the right answer. So what we're really talking about here is do the short-term pain for the long-term gain. There will obviously yes. always be some sort of pain with change in technologies, but it's better to do it in short increments than to wait for three, four, or five years and then do the change. That's essentially you're going to get bit in the ass. So, and we heard that from multiple, multiple people, multiple episodes. We definitely heard that from Bob Armbruster. We definitely heard that from multiple, uh, multiple episodes here. Uh, I think Wally mentioned it as well. So big learning lessons there. Just like technology, I think people and culture, it's the same thing. Don't wait until you have a retention problem to start thinking about making culture right and doing right by your people. Start today and really try to make that culture something that's going to attract people that you really want to work there because they're going to be just great A players for your business. But if you wait until you're like, oh, crap, like everybody hates being here. And like we have, you know, we lose a person every other week. And it's like that the, the problem is now so far embedded in you are you're 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 at a huge loss. It's going to cost you way more than say having like Dr. Troy uh, come in and, and talk today about like, how, how do we get cohesion better in our culture? Like that, do it today is, is I guess the point I'm trying to make. If it's technology, if it's people, if it's process, the same, the same wow, I didn't think about this till right now. Process is the same thing. If you have a core set of processes that you want to just do the same way every time, start documenting them today. Don't wait until you're trying to train somebody and then trying to reteach them a process that you could have already had documented for them in a training process. Like it's it's one of these things where if you keep waiting, it's going to cost you more money for people, process and technology. And I did not that clarity came right now as you're listening to this. So um, uh, that's why that's why this is fun. I think, Will, I think this these conversations, these behind the scenes conversations kind of are a lot of fun because it's like, aha, I had its massive aha moment that I, I was just talking and I talked myself into genius. Well, at least I think it's genius. I mean, talking through, I think really helps digest some of these episodes and helps, I think, bring about some of the nuggets. I don't, I think that some of these episodes just have to listen to more than once. Yep. I don't think all the nuggets, some of the stuff is just so normal for the people that are, living it right and then there's other people that are going that are listening to this and going oh crap i got this nugget but it's like watching a movie multiple times over first time you, you see it one way then mm -hmm. you start picking up the other nuances 
right? It's like sort of the director's cut. Like, okay, now I'm seeing what the director like really wanted after yep. like the third, fourth, fifth time, yep. right? Oh, so totally. Same, same idea in some of these episodes. There's a reason why we do these episodes longer because there is so much and we have no way of condensing it down because it's a wealth of information. Oh, totally. Feel free to re-listen to those episodes. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of lot of stuff in there uh, that's packed in. I'm excited talking about technology, talking about um, companies being able to just be more nimble with pricing and things like that, like the the Bob story. Uh, it's peak in the box. We have a, a guest that's going to be next season that is going to talk about this at nauseum. Like the, the, what they are doing, we literally had a planning call with them yesterday me and will are are to- we're so excited like it's it's unbelievable he he gave he gave us like the full back scenes kind of uh vibe of stuff and wow 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 we wow so we're really excited about that so more to come on invest in invest in your people your process and your technology so i want to there was something else that was brought up in a few different ways uh within the season which is what are some of the biggest reasons why big initiative big initiatives fail or succeed? I think this is a common topic that multiple people brought about in different ways, right? But I think they all there were definitely some learning lessons from multiple people here. So what did you hear? The first thing that comes to mind is Wally's uh, triangle. You get the you know got the whiteboard out the triangle, right? Um, and having the technical competence to do the thing, right? Having that base, but then having your management or your, your process and then your leadership, you know, uh, TP uh, is the easiest way to put that, um, was fascinating to me because you need all three pieces. Like you need to actually be competent, but then like if you don't have like process and, and management in place, like it's hard to get this competence to do the thing you want it to do. Just because somebody knows how to, paint or, you know, hang drywall or uh, push concrete or, you know, build architectural designs or you know, engineer the, the, the plane of, of a building doesn't mean they're, they're able to do that without a process and a management in place. And then to get them to want to do these things and be excited about these things and feel comfortable doing these things and trust in the, the company that they're doing them for, you need the leadership, you need that other part. And that, it, without all three of those, any new thing you bring in fails because there, there's a there's a, a, a degraded triangle. You you have two lines. You don't you have nothing that stands by itself, and you need to have that structural sound because once it's sound, then it's like a change occurs. It's easy to manage your way through a change and show the leadership through that change to change the technicality of hey now we're putting our change orders into this, you know, fillable PDF document, and it lives in SharePoint. And we're going to do that, even though that's not what you've been doing. The reason we are doing it is because it's going to make your time, you know, you're cutting your time and be way better for the company, which would then give you more benefits and do all these things. And we're going to make sure you're doing it right, because we're going to train you and teach you how to do it. And like that, to me, was like, oh, of course, like you, you need all three, you can't just say, hey, uh, leadership wants to change change orders and how they're done and then not pass this along to the the guys in the field until, you know, three weeks before you're actually making this change. Like you need to have this all come together and actually happen as you're doing it and get buy-in from uh, the guys in the field as well. So Bob's process is actually, I mean, 
totally talked about this, right? He told he involves mm -hmm. right the essentially the naysayers. Yep. Uh, he involves because if he doesn't involve those people, then uh, and while I talked about also the communication that starts at the top and the implementation and sort of the lag between when the idea and the communication starts at the management level, by the time it's implemented, it's like in waves, right? So by the time it gets down to the field, right, the message either has completely died out or it's so far behind that where they thought the initiative uh, is going to start, well, it takes time to communicate, change processes, et cetera. And this is the part that they think that it's the change is going to happen across the entire organization all at once. And the reality is the changes happen in steps, first at the top level, then go to the mid. And if you've got more layers, then it goes through each one of those layers before it gets finally uh, out to your field at the very lowest of layers. That's actually a great, I, I, he gave us another visual. He was very visual now that I think about it. Because he said, leadership's been talking about this for a year and a half. So like the, the trajectory they're on is like here. But then like the field has only known about this for a month. So it's like, it's impossible to have the connection of somebody that has been thinking through this for a year and a half in comparison to somebody that just heard about this a month ago. The connection, the communication connection there is so off that it's it's not it's not it's it's going to fail because you're asking for something that's generally impossible. Exactly. So we talked a little bit about this before, and uh, I want to make sure that we hit upon what did you find? I, I want to discuss something. We've seen interesting outside perspectives that cater to the industry and bring very powerful nuggets to the table. Okay. The night what what nuggets or I guess you know the whole idea of having these outside perspectives, there's something there. How do you know, right? Who to talk to, who to who to trust? I think I think is really what we're trying to say here is how do you know who to trust versus not trust? And we've obviously heard from people that are very much trusted in the industry because they they did things that made that made sense or, or work. What do you think? One, I think you need to actually build a relationship. I, th I one of one of the things that certainly since this podcast started this year, a focus for us is relationships like that. Me and Will, that's a huge push that we have. But I think it's very, very true in regards to anybody you work with, especially somebody that is an unknown, an unknown quantity. You need to build a relationship with them to know hey, like, is this person my people, essentially? Is this, you know, because just because somebody's really good at a thing, you're 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 touted as the best, uh, you know, GC in town, right? Uh, or the best sub in town. That doesn't inherently mean you're going to work well with it, another company. Like, sure, you could say there's a good probability, but you have to you have to get into terms of like, well, is it is it good for me? And I think the relationship part is, that's the big part that I think needs to happen. I think the other part here is from a trust perspective, ask around, right? I think ask for references, ask about the process, ask about their process in, uh, in how they got to whatever that conclusion is. And I think if you've got the word doctor in front of your name, I think, and your thesis is around cohesion, maybe, maybe you've got some clout, right? So hat tip to Dr. Troy there. 
Totally. But then on the flip side, it's some of the experience in, I think, the size ranges of who you're dealing with, right? Because you're in a different scale of problems depending on who you talk to. A $50 million company is going to have way different scale of problems than a $500 million company versus a $5 billion company, right? Very, very different problems, very different uh, sets of problems. They all have problems, right? It's just different le- uh, different layers, different levels of problems. And if you take away really the service or the product, they're all business problems, right? But the understanding behind what's happening, right? And, and it's all around people across technology, all of it. I think it's also asking about that. And if you're in the range or if you're in the realm of who you're talking to, I think it's worth at least listening to listening to them for at least a minute. Because what's the worst that can happen? It might help you for a little bit, or you spent an hour and okay, maybe now's not the right time. But looking for definitely looking for a fit. Totally, uh, I, I can totally see why some people in the industry that are sort of catering to the in- industry in terms of consulting, consulting manner or fashion are way more successful than others because of just how they and. If they're talking about it on LinkedIn, if they're talking about it, you know, if you're hearing it from other construction companies, hey, you should work with these guys, definitely take that into heavy consideration. There's obviously, I mean, that's the highest form, that's the highest form of compliment that you can possibly have. You hear about them from someone else, probably reach out, right? Even if you've never talked to them before, see what it is that they solve, see if they can solve for you. Yep. If they haven't, if you... Maybe you don't even know about the problem yet. So I think that, I think that's it. I think that's, those are some of the, I think that's like the, some of the biggest nuggets for the entire season, you know, that I felt like were super powerful. Do you want to close out with anything else, Justin? I do want peek in the box. I know I mentioned somebody that's going to bring uh, data uh, and how they're using data to the the table here, uh, which is based on yesterday's uh, conversation is they are, they're growing significantly, which is amazing. So that's one one uh, episode we're going to have in the near future here. Also, we are working on getting, uh, we're working on breaking into the billion dollar uh, company, which is uh, a big a big thing, I think, for us just to have fun. But again, different problems. But somebody that's at that place has probably had problems that you've had in the past. And then how did they get through that to get to the 500 million and then get to the billion and like all those. So that's very exciting for us. Um, and then development side, also going to hit on the development side, not just the A, E, and C. So uh, super exciting. Oh, and I couldn't I couldn't not mention the fact that we're going to do some live streams. We're going to be doing live streams uh, with uh, Bob, uh, our buddy Bob, and that's going to be starting next month. So uh, if that's something you're interested in, let us know, reach out, uh, shoot us an email, find us, tag us, comment on us, do whatever you have to do, smoke signals, pigeons, however you get a hold of us, get a hold of us. Um, we'll leave all that stuff in the show notes for you. And uh, that's all I got, Will. So until next time. Adios. Adios. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If this episode did help you, then be sure to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or looking for additional help on your journey to find more wealth, scale, and freedom in your AEC company, visit our AEC resources page at spotmigration.com backslash AEC hyphen resources. resources.